Good morning. Welcome to Men's Roundtable. Good morning. I'm glad you're with us. We continue the series this week uh, on the wilderness as we continue uh, quarantining and staying at home, uh, doing our best to, to get through this uh, wilderness season that we're experiencing. Uh, we're fortunate to be able to come to you live again via stream with uh, Jeff Cook and Jeff Stout controlling uh, our systems. Phil will be joining us shortly from Fairhope, where he is gathered on his back patio with a couple of guys there uh, so that he's teaching them live this morning while we're live streaming. Guys, I'm so glad that you're with us. Uh, we had a great number of about 140 that uh, tuned in last week. Hope that you're uh, with us again this morning live. I know some guys uh, have wives that are joining us as well. Welcome to you. I'm glad you're able to participate in the in the men's table uh, during this uh, time that we are uh, live streaming. Guys, it, uh, it kind of hit me this past week. Um, earlier, I think Monday, uh, I was uh, working. Uh, I've been doing some work in some nursing homes, uh, trying to help them out um, in, in keeping uh, their environment there inside the nursing home safe as possible. And I just had this overwhelming sense of weight of, you know, five or six weeks of going through this. And I know many of you have too. We talked about, you know, guys that are unable to attend AA meetings and some of the other support systems that we traditionally have in place. And I uh, just wonder how many of you have felt the weight of uh, the job loss or furlough or uh, just being quarantined at home, working from home and not being able to get a break. Let me just remind you that um, as Phil's taught us several times and had a series uh, on our journal, what a way to connect to God through your journal and through a pen. Allow him to uh, take over part of that burden and put it to paper. Just commit to doing writing once a day or every other day as often as you can anyway. And one of the other things that I found that was just helpful to me was just realizing just slow down and breathe. That's what this series is about, the wilderness. And Phil's using biblical examples of seasons when people have been in the wilderness. And while we may say these are uncertain times, I don't know that they really are uncertain other than we're not sure what's going to happen maybe at the end of the day or tomorrow or next week. But one thing I know for certain, God is still God. Jesus Christ is still my Lord and my Savior. And I'm going to be okay. I hope you will too. Let me help us with a word of prayer. Yes. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day. We thank you for the opportunity of being able to utilize this technology to gather. While we may be socially distant, Lord, we want to remain physically distant, but socially together, even if it's through the media of live streaming. Lord, I ask that you would touch each man's heart as we gather this morning. Bring peace upon us, Lord. Let us know that you are in control. Give us the affirmation that we're seeking. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Joe. Good morning, gentlemen. Uh, it is uh, good to be with you through our continued medium of um, uh, live streaming. Uh, welcome to uh, Men's Roundtable. I'm, I'm here on the 
my patio uh, outside, uh, hoping that the thunderstorm that is uh, west of here doesn't get here before we finish. Um, and my good friend uh, Wendell Kimbrough, uh, who has uh, strong ties uh, to Mississippi, uh, is here uh, with me on the patio, and it's uh, good not just to be um, speaking to uh, video screens and birds and trees, but I've actually got a, a real person uh, sitting with me. Um, as we have consistently done uh, through this series, uh, I want to offer you a song, and, and again, I, I want to uh, direct you toward our uh, uh, playlist that we've developed through this series that uh, Jeff posted on Spotify, and uh, I've been listening to uh, the playlist uh, every morning uh, in my own uh, quiet time, and um, it's, uh, it, it's been very much a part of my uh, calming uh, my heart before the Lord and um, coming into his presence uh, with music. And this morning, uh, I want to offer you a song by Jeremy Camp, and uh, appropriately, uh, the name of the song is Wilderness. And just to read to you the, uh, the first couple of um, uh, stanzas, I've had seasons of goodness overflowing with life, but I'm no stranger to sorrow or a heart that wanders sometimes. I know the darkest night cannot outrun the sun. The burden will be light, but until that day comes, I will rest. I will rest. Rest my heart in your hands, because I know that I can put my hope in your faithfulness. I will rest and trust with confidence. If you're God in the good, in the promised land, you will be God, God in the wilderness. May you open your heart to what God has for us this morning, and through this song, may you hear the voice of God. But I'm no stranger to sorrow Or a heart that wanders sometimes I know the darkest night Cannot outrun the sun The burden will be light But until that day comes I will
together this morning. Be on the alert. Stand firm in your faith. Act like men. Be strong. The words from 1 Corinthians 16, 13. We uh, continue our um, journey uh, through the wilderness, uh, our study um, into the wilderness, understanding and embracing the dark times of our life. Follow with me um, as we read the opening paragraph. And again, it's... Um, um, Jeff and uh, Joe have uh, facilitated for us. The notes are able to be printed out um, on the website. So if you don't have those notes printed out, uh, hit the uh, uh, notes uh, there on the website and get those uh, printed out so you can follow um, as we go through our session um, this morning. Into the wilderness, understanding and embracing the dark times of your life. Words translated as wilderness occur nearly 300 times in the Bible. Wilderness seasons are brutal, but God is powerfully at work in the wilderness seasons of our lives. The only question is, do we have eyes to see it? In order for God to give us the choice whether or not to trust him, he must present us with a moment of crisis. And since he wants us to seek help from him, he brings us through the wilderness to remove all other help First, when we're in a wilderness season, it's easy to lose sight of God's protection, his provision, and preparation. We might even wonder, how can I trust God's goodness when I'm in this desolate place? But remember Jesus. He went through the ultimate wilderness, the desolation and humiliation of dying under the curse of God. If that is the measure of God's love and commitment to us, we can trust him in our own wilderness seasons. Let's journey together. So this morning, uh, what, what I wanted to look at is uh, where is God? The last um, three or four weeks, uh, at least in my mind, uh, I don't know what you've heard and what you've gotten from our time together, but in my mind, um, I've been kind of pushing us uh, through our study into the wilderness of um, how to connect with God. And uh, in my own life uh, this week, um, I, I really uh, was struggling with uh, not the how. I, I'd kind of got myself in tune and, and uh, created some good rhythm of how to do it. Uh, but through some different circumstances that I was faced with, uh, through some counseling situations and and uh, just my own thought life, um, I started to really struggle with uh, anger uh, and where the heck is God? <laughs> I mean, where is God? I, I know what to do. I, I know kind of how to connect through the music, the journaling, reading his word, uh, even my own uh, vulnerability and confession. But I was thinking, where is God in all this? Because it sure seems like he went on vacation about the time that this um, 
pandemic uh, started, at least this week. Um, and so I wanted to kind of come back to a passage that we've looked at um, already, uh, kind of come back to it and focus on God in the passage. Um, you know, we, the last time we went through this, we kind of focused on the Israelites. And um, I wanted to find God uh, in that same story. So before we dig in um, to the uh, Exodus passage, um, pick up your pen. Let's go to work. And I've got three questions. Let's do some journaling. I want you to engage deliberately and intentionally. So with pen in hand and journal open, first question, what are you learning about God, yourself, and his ways? What are you learning in this whole uh, virus plague about God, yourself, and his ways. I think it would be tragic that this whole thing would end whenever that is. Uh, obviously, it's, it is going to be a slow uh, uh, road uh, to uh, healing because um, it'll, it'll be a journey and it'll be a process. It's not going to end overnight. But wouldn't it be sad that we would end, get back to life, and we would be no better in terms of our awareness of who God is in the work that he's doing in our life than we were uh, when this whole thing started. I think that would be the worst tragedy. Um, in many ways, it would be worse than losing a loved one. Now, again, that may be unkind and easy for me to say because I haven't uh, lost a loved one. But I do believe that our connection to God is the most important part about life. And, and part of what happened in my own life this week is I was confronted in my counseling practice and in some close relationships with just foolishness. Um, I, I don't know what else to say about it. I, I mean, again, you know, as the old saying go, baseball has been very, very good to me. You know, other people's foolishness and waywardness and stupidity has served me very well. And so, why would I complain about that? And I think part of the reason that, that some of the foolishness hit me so hard was two reasons. One is I have friendships uh, with some people that I love and care about, and it's just like I looked at them and I'm thinking, really? Dude, dude. You know how when a good friend just looks at you and says, dude, and, 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 and it's, all, it's all summed up. It's just that look. And in that word, and it's just like, I couldn't believe it, but you know, I've certainly done far worse and will do far worse, but I was just struck by the foolishness. And then I kind of got a little bit sideways with God kind of in a wrestling match. It's like, God, you know, how could you allow this guy, these guys, it, it was multiple situations, one, one, one situation. And I mean, innocent people being hurt by other people's egocentricity, uh, uh, that, that their uh, sense of uh, entitlement was hurting and harming those that were just innocent bystanders. It was like drive-bys and people getting shot and wounded. And it's just like it was senseless. Um, I long to see God in that. Second question. How do you see hardness of heart in you? 
that's part of the passage that we're going to look at. Um, and it's a common passage um, through Scripture, or a common phrase, hardness of heart, hardness of heart. How do you see that? Write that down. How do you see hardness of heart in you? In my own life, I see it in my own pride, my own arrogance, my own judgmentalness. It's just like these people that I see them fall and struggle. It's like, you know, I would never do that. And then mm, on second thought, I've done worse. Um, and, I, and, and, you know, like when I get in pain, I, I have this really bad habit, and my sweet wife has put up with this for 38 years. Uh, I have this kind of implicit cry. Uh, you know, I'm smart enough not to just overtly cry out, but I have this sick, implicit cry for rescue. Please take care of me. And it's really a struggle sometimes for me to take responsibility, get up, and do the next right thing to do. And I just kind of can feel sorry for myself. And then the one I really hate the most in my own life is being tempted to be offended. That drives me crazy. And I refuse, as best I know how, with the power of God, not to be offended. Like somehow something that somebody else does in a foolish way, that I take that personally. That's just crazy. And I don't want, I mean, you have to work hard, I believe, to be offended. I mean, you have to like decide, make a decision, consciously or unconsciously, I'm going to be offended by this. Really, dude? I mean, broken people do stupid things. Those broken parts of people will cut you, and you're going to be offended by that? Mm -mm. So final question. Who do you know that is in the wilderness now? Well, I've consistently had that question through the whole series. It's like we all are. You're in the wilderness. I'm in the wilderness in our own way. What does that look like? And I'm telling you, just like we've said through this whole series, this is an invitation to connect with God. There is no doubt that God is inviting us into a new intimacy um, and closeness with him through this. So where is God? I want you to turn over, um, and let's start not so much in Exodus, which is kind of our uh, core uh, passage that we've been looking at, but I want you to uh, turn over to uh, Psalm chapter 10. And I was struck by Psalm chapter 10 in, in my own uh, personal time with the Lord this week. And Psalm 10 starts out with this. And um, I think Jeff's got uh, the passage up on your um, on the screen. Uh, reading from the message, of course, Psalm 10. God, are you avoiding me? Where are you when I need you? Now, in, the, in your study Bible, uh, the passage actually reads, why do you hide? Why do you hide? That's what the psalmist is saying to God. God, why are you hiding? Uh, it's the question, where are you, God? And we often talk about in our journaling that we need to start with the question, where are you relative to ourselves in much the same way that God invited Adam to identify 
where he was. But how about asking God, where are you? Why are you hiding? Full of hot air, the wicked are hot on the trail of the poor, trip them up, tangle them up in their fine-tuned plots. And then all through the first part of the psalm, he is just talking about how the wicked just seem to be callous. And the psalmist is, is, is asking, God, the good guys are losing and the bad guys seem to be winning. Where are you? And then jumping over to verse 12 and 13, and I didn't include this in your notes, but it's like the um, psalmist kind of slaps himself in the face, uh, you know, douses his face with cold water, kind of wakes up, and he says in verse 12, time to get up, God, get moving. In your study Bible, he says, rise up, Lord, arise. I mean, who says that to God? God, it's time to get going. And the, he says, the luckless think they're God forsaken. And he cries out again in your study Bible, it reads, do not forget the helpless. There is an assertiveness there um, that needs to be a part of our connection to God. Not that we're demanding, but that we're willing uh, to ask for what we want. We're, we're willing to express our desires. And so, Psalm 10 says overtly, where are you, God? So God takes us to school every day. Did you know God's in the homeschooling business? He's homeschooling us every day. And he took the Israelites to school in the wilderness. And he particularly took them to school in Exodus 17, in Massa and Meribah. And a couple of weeks ago, we looked at this passage about water coming from a rock. But I want you to look at this through the, through the lens of just God working. Now, let me give you just a little bit of background um, on, on this passage. This is, of course, Exodus 17 that we're going to read here in just a minute. Exodus 14 is the crossing of the Red Sea. It's fun to read that. Read that whole chapter. Again, read it out of the message so you can really get the full flavor of Eugene Peterson's uh, newspaper English version of that. Then in 15, uh, hymnology starts. That is the first hymn in all of Scripture. And the first thing that God does is he teaches Moses a song and uh, tells Moses to teach the people this song. And that song is just uh, a wonderful uh, account, historical account in uh, music of the crossing of the Red Sea and what God did to the Egyptian army. And at the end um, of um, chapter um, 15, um, the first homeschool lesson um, God gives them in the wilderness. Now they're in the wilderness and he brings them to a, 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 a spring and the spring is Mara. And Mara means bitter. And the people immediately begin to complain. Now, isn't it sad and very uh, much like you and me, having just experienced the Red Sea, and as we've talked about before, the Red Sea is to the Old Testament believers as the resurrection is to the New Testament believers. 
we point to the resurrection and the resurrection is affirming, affirming, affirming God's dynamic presence in all of life. Well, in the Old Testament, what they pointed to consistently was the Red Sea. And story after story after story after story is always about the Red Sea, the Red Sea, the Red Sea. The Red Sea was the resurrection of the Old Testament. And so they come and, they, and, they, and they're just bitter because there's no water. And, 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 and God says, look, you guys are just being bitter. And he immediately takes them to Elam where there's springs. It's an oasis, truly a genuine place. And there's 70 palm trees. Can you imagine? All of a sudden, they're in Hawaii. <laughs> uh, uh, they're, they're in this beautiful place. And you would think, you know, man, that, that just anchors them in um, to God. We know God's going to be with us. Well, you know, pretty soon they've had all the water they can drink. What are we going to eat? And so into 16 is the um, um, historical account of how God fed them. In the morning, he gave them manna. By the way, do you know what manna tasted like? It's in the scripture. It was toast and honey. It says very clearly, I think it's verse 16 or something, but look down in in chapter 16, that the manna was like, in your study Bible, it says it was wafer, it tasted like wafers and honey. Um, or as Eugene Peterson would say, crackers and honey. You know, the way I look at that, it was toast and honey. It was toast and honey in the morning. And then you know what they had to eat in the evening? Every day. Quail. Quail. Now, Joe, I know you're a big hunter. Dude. How about eating quail every night for dinner? You know, not a bad gig. And yet, you know, the people just couldn't be satisfied. You know, they complained. And it's interesting because they couldn't store it. But on the sixth day, on Saturday, they could store it. And whatever they gathered uh, uh, would be twice as much so that they could have the Sabbath um, to enjoy without having to gather food, and the food that they had gathered on Saturday would last. In the, well, in, in the Sabbath, which would have been Saturday, but, but what they gathered the day before the Sabbath um, would last through their day of rest. And so God continually showed them that he was going to meet them. But they come to, uh, to Exodus 17, and um, I want you to turn over to that passage, Exodus 17, and listen to this. And I want you to listen um, to how God handles this. In fact, this, this, this whole passage that we're looking at um, today is what I'm uh, wanting to, to invite you into is seeing it um, in a God-centered way versus a man-centered way. Um, now, in a God-centered way, we call that theocentric. Uh, man-centered way is anthropocentric. And life works best when we see life and we see the Bible from a theocentric um, viewpoint. Um, it ain't about you. It ain't about me. And the more we look through the lens of a man-centered view, 
the more we miss the point of all of the scripture in any given passage. So listen to this, Exodus 17. Directed by God. Directed by God. <laughs> right out of the bat, first uh, words of Exodus 17.1. Directed by God. The whole company of Israel moved on by stages from the wilderness of sin. God was directing them. They weren't going any place that God didn't have his hand on their life. Directed by God. They set camp at Rephidim, and there wasn't a drop of water for the people to drink. The people took Moses to task. Give us water to drink. But Moses said, why pester me? Why are you testing God? He knew that their battle wasn't so much with him as it was with God. And guys, that's true with all of us. I could be mad at my wife. I could be mad at my my girls, I could be mad at Duke. That's really easy to do these days, and that's another whole story that I won't go into. Um, but I can be mad at a lot of things. But at the core that I may not be conscious of is I'm mad at God. And the more that I can connect to that, the more that I'm in reality. But the people were thirsty for water there. They complained to Moses why did you take us from Egypt and drag us out here and our children and animals to die of thirst? Complaining, blame, criticism. Complaining, blame, criticism. Moses cried out in prayer to God, what can I do with these people? Any minute now, they'll kill me. So God spoke to Moses, going ahead of the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel. Take the staff you need uh, to strike the Nile, or you use to strike the Nile, and go, I'm going to be present before uh, you there on the rock of Horeb. You are to strike the rock, water will gush out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did what he said with the elders of Israel right there watching. He named the place Massa, which means test, and Meribah, quarreling. Now, the, the interesting piece about quarreling, it, it, that is more of uh, the idea of a legal term. It means litigation, complaint. It means uh, literally that the children of Israel would have sued God if they'd had an attorney. You know, I just heard that the state of Missouri uh, 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 sued China. Good luck with that. <laughs> you know? I mean, I think that's cool. I think that, that you know, but I, I don't understand law. And I mean, you know, I understand the complications of suing uh, Exxon uh, you know, or some big firm. I can only imagine what a suit against China would really look like. 20 years from now, it'll be settled, maybe, or thrown out. I don't know. I don't know how that works. But it's like it's just as ridiculous, or more ridiculous, that the children of Israel would bring litigation before God. That's what that means, literally. Because of the quarreling of the Israelites and because of their testing of God when they said, is God here with us or not? Where is God? He's left us. Where is God? See, the classroom was clear. God was allowing their questions to direct them to him. And, and we've talked so many times. Um, we never grow beyond our questions. So questions are not wrong. In fact, if you're not asking questions, we need to just throw dirt on you. You're already dead. Questions are good. But when you start creating those questions, and they're demanding, 
it's like um, the children of Israel failed the test. They failed in the wilderness. So many examples of failure. Um, I want to show you a, a clip out of the Band of Brothers uh, through this whole series. We've been using um, the Band of Brothers as kind of our case study, and, and they were definitely in the wilderness in World War II, and, and um, you know, it's just a way to see the wilderness in a different frame. Captain Sobel um, was um, one of the primary leaders of Easy Company, and uh, he was under the command of uh, Sergeant uh, uh, Winters, um, who is noted so much uh, as the leader of the Band of Brothers and Easy Company. And uh, Sergeant Sobel um, had difficulty. And uh, this clip that I'm going to show you is an episode in their training. Uh, this is before they got to D-Day and got to the battlefield, but they were being trained. Um, I don't want you to watch what happens. Um, there's a test for, doc, uh, for um, Sobel and his troops. Watch what happens. We're in the wrong position. We're taxable position for ambush, sir. Think we should sit tight. Let the enemy team come into our killing zone. They're right out there somewhere. Let's just get them. Sir, we have perfect cover here. Sit tight. Deploy your troops. Second platoon. Move out. What? Tactical call. Captain, you've just been killed, along with 95% of your company. Your outfit? Easy Company, 2nd Battalion, 506. Leave three wounded men on the ground and report back to the assembly area. You, you, you. So uh, thank God uh, that what you saw in that little video was a training uh, mission, and uh, uh, Captain Sobel uh, got all of his troops killed. Uh, if that had been a, a, a real wartime situation, and any of you that have watched the whole uh, series Band of Brothers, you know that uh, Sobel was be uh, betrayed uh, as a petty um, and uh, capricious uh, leader. There were issues. What's interesting about him is he uh, retired as a lieutenant colonel, served in Korea and all that, and, and very sadly, 
um, 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 attempted suicide in 1970. Um, really a man who was troubled in, in, in many ways, and we could probably say that there was a lot of issues of trauma. But I want to read to you um, in, in his legacy something uh, that I discovered. Um, his pronounced lack of understanding of common infantry field craft, such as land navigation and basic infantry combat taxes, tactics, as well as a refusal to listen to the advice of fellow officers or NCOs, was a weakness that he was uh, clearly that the men around him saw. And you saw that even um, in the, in the uh, series, Band of Brothers. He didn't listen. There was an ego um, uh, um, centricity about Captain Sobel. And I, and I couldn't help but think, man, that is the way that I can get into living my own life. I, I'm not upset uh, that, that people aren't following God. I'm upset that people are kind of making my life difficult. And it's kind of an egocentric sort of mentality. Um, see, the meaning of Ma uh, Masa and Meribah was so much about the hardness of man's heart. Isn't it interesting all through scripture that scripture is very clear that what God wants from us is a broken and contrite heart, a soft heart, a humble heart. And in the midst of, 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 of all of the acting out of a hardness of heart, what God kept betraying, even though he would um, flash with anger appropriately so uh, from the hardness of heart of the Israelites, he kept coming back and treating them with grace, 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 grace. What did, what did the Israelites do? They tested God. They not only tested him, but they betrayed him. I mean, it didn't take but just a short time for them to forget one way that he would provide, and then they would once again be impatient. And the way I would even um, put impatience into contemporary language is they were entitled. It was an entitlement. I deserve this. And then they were disobedient. They were just outright defiant. And finally, they cons consistently doubted if God was really in it. And over and over, he showed that he was for them. See, again, God often reveals his presence through circumstances in which he appears to be absent. That, that is such an important truth that, that I need to get through my head, that God seems to be absent. And, it, and yet, historically, at the times that he seems to be absent, he is once again trying to communicate to me 
his presence and his power. So I look around me and I see, I mean, the world has changed in the last four or five weeks. I mean, the world, not, not just your community and my community and our families. I mean, the world, we, we are truly in a place that nobody who is living today has ever seen anything like this. Um, God's not on vacation. So where is God? Um, there on your notes, and again, if you haven't printed these notes out, I would invite you to because um, there's a whole lot more here than I have time to go through. But how can I be anchored in to knowing that God is really present and powerful? I need assurance. I need assurance. You know, when my girls were little, and uh, Wendell, who is here with me, he has a, a beautiful little gal, Isa. Uh, which I love that name. And, you know, Wendell is continually uh, providing uh, security for her. I mean, if, if Isa is going to grow up well, she needs to consistently know uh, where the safe haven is. Uh, in the arms of mama, in the arms of daddy, home base, this is my home. And when we don't have that, we're just all chaotic. What's the assurance that we have that God is really present? Where is God? I would say this. Now, first of all, his names. Carla right now in, in her own uh, devotion is, is reading a book, The Hundred Names of God. I mean, if you've never done a study on the names of God, get that book. Um, um, one of the books that I read years ago, I think, was by Nathan Stone, Names of God. Um, anybody wants to know the one that Carla's reading, uh, uh, email me and I'll send you a, a picture of it. But his name, Emmanuel, God is with us. But all of the Hebrew names uh, denotes God's personality. But I want to highlight, there, there's seven things there on your notes, but I just wanted to highlight three with, with the time that we have. I would say this. Three key pieces that helps us be uh, assured that God is present. First of all, his connectedness to the broken. All through scripture, God is connected to the broken. You know, in my right mind, <laughs> in my real self, in my true self, I am so grateful for that because it is an invitation for me to be vulnerable, uh, confessional, to tell my story. Um, I mean, I'm suffering uh, from deprivation of men's groups. Uh, I, I long to be connected to my brothers. And, and recently I had a chance to sit with just uh, uh, five or six of us and we were just sharing openly uh, what we were struggling with. I mean, nobody was trying to convince the others, oh, this, this is no big deal, you know? It's like, dude, dude, I'm hurting in these areas. And it was manly and masculine and real, and God was all over that. God is connected to our brokenness. And, um, and secondly, I would just say, 
that his sovereignty is is critical. Again, the Bible is the story of God's redemptive plan, and his sovereign control is over everything. And there is no greater truth that I have learned about God, and I learned this early on in in my uh, journey, that God is in control always. Boy, I, I I am anchored to that. I don't always remember it. I forget it. But when I'm in a good place, I'm remembering that very distinctly. And Scripture is very clear about his sovereign control. And then, and then finally, I would just say that God uses adversity, that he uses um, suffering, or he uses difficulty to mold us uh, and refine us. First uh, Peter, um, that, that we've read many passages out of First Peter through this series, is very clear that God uses difficult times in our lives, that he's not afraid to use suffering. And so here we are in a place that it's only normal um, to feel that question that the Israelites felt consistently while they were in the wilderness. Where are you? Where, where is God? How do you anchor yourself into that? And I would, I would just say that the, the redemptive story is God's grace being portrayed consistently with his presence and power. And he does it through the brokenness of our own lives, his sovereign hand over our lives, and affirming the suffering that we're going through. God's here. He has not forgotten you. He's not forgotten us. In the wilderness, God is present. May you hear his voice all of this week. Let me close in prayer. Father, we're grateful that you've given us this time, even through this medium and, and, uh, and this means uh, to be together. And Lord, I, I pray that, that we wouldn't just know about you, but we would feel your presence, that, uh, that we would experience an intimate and organic connection to you today and in the coming days. Thank you for our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week. See you next week.